0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to another awesome episode of F-Stop Collaborate and Listen. I'm super glad you guys are tuning in. I need to do a huge, huge shout-out to all of those supporting the podcast over on Patreon. Um, it's really helping me out, and uh, I wouldn't be doing it without your support, so thank you. Um, if you haven't uh, contributed yet, please consider contributing. Even a dollar a month would help. Five dollars or more gets you uh, access to amazing bonus content and... I send out some goodies now and then. This is episode 64 with Rajas Warren. And uh, man, we had an awesome conversation. He is a fantastic photographer from Dallas, Texas. You guys are going to really like this conversation. Uh, we cover some some interesting topics this week that we haven't uh, covered on the podcast before. So sit back, grab a, grab a beer or a glass of wine or your favorite beverage or if it's in the morning, grab a coffee and uh, listen and uh, let me know what you think on social media. Thanks. <clears throat> All right, well, thanks, Rajesh, Jolis Warren. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to come on to F-Stop, collaborate, and listen. Thank you, Matt. It's a pleasure and it's an honor to be here. Yeah, cool, you've, uh, you've been a, a listener pretty much from the beginning, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, I I don't remember exactly how I found
1: uh, you, you and the podcast, but somehow it, you, this show had not been um, there for that long. And I saw this thing and I was like, wow, man, there's somebody doing this cool stuff that nobody has thought about before. It's so great to listen to people that we all look up to. And by the time yeah. I think you had a like Garen Babnik and maybe a couple of people on the show, that's it. Um, And um, I reached out to you and I think I talked to you on your photography page and then you said, hey, ping me on my personal page and let's carry on our conversation there. So that's how I reached out and, you know, we became friends. Cool. Good
0: deal, man. Well, uh, I really, um, I like your work. You do a lot of really great uh, photography and um, and it's been fun to see all of your images that you've been producing. And I just wanted to mention that you're not just uh another joe blow like you do have some great photographs so keep up the good work thank you so much I appreciate it the fact that uh you invited me to be on the show is uh
1: is um very heartening that i am on the right path um i'm <laughs> <laughs> i'm a rel- relative newcomer to photography and so it's validation that whatever i'm doing is going in the right direction
0: cool well we'll, we'll talk more about uh about that later, um I was hoping maybe you could just start out um for those that uh, don't know you, maybe talk a little bit about who you are and how you got into uh this this exciting world of landscape photography. Yes,
1: um my name is Rajesh Jyotaswaran, uh, like Matt pronounced correctly, and did uh, <laughs> some
0: coaching earlier <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, you, you're a quick learner. <laughs> Uh, I was born and raised in India. I uh, came to the United States to go to grad school. Um, this was uh, or 25 years ago. Uh, I've lived here in the States a lot longer than I have lived in India. Okay. And um, I came to grad school and uh, had no intention of uh, staying here. I wanted to finish my master's degree and go back and do a regular whatever <laughs> job. Uh, you know, two years on, I was like, man, this place is not bad. It's actually good. <laughs> so, you know, I ended up getting a job locally here in Dallas in the telecom industry and stayed in the industry pretty much throughout, uh, starting from back when the cell phones were first coming out, essentially. Okay. Um, that's, uh, you know, that's basically what I was doing um, career-wise. And I have a wife and two uh, girls and my girls are both teenagers. The older one is actually going off to college this year. Oh man, you're in trouble now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, bills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I'm kind of looking forward to it too because you know that means that she is going to be independent, kind of right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and the younger one goes off to college in another four years. So, so I'm looking forward to that one because. That will also mean that I'll have more time for photography, hopefully. And uh, oh, cool. um, so that's uh, that's a good part. Bad part, obviously, is like, you know, kids going, uh, you know, we'll be empty nesters and uh, that part will be there.
0: So uh, when did you start taking photos seriously and how did you get into that? Man, I must tell you, like, uh, I'm probably the most
1: unusual kind of person that you have on the show. Uh, listening to all your guests so far, they all had some kind of really cool backgrounds, either art history major or somebody who loves to hike, somebody who's an outdoors person. You know, you, for example, you're you're big into mountaineering and hiking and things like that. I'm none of those. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, How I got started into photography is kind of quite by accident. And my first passion was actually growing things, plants. And, you know, I had a, uh, you know, mm-hmm. when we moved into our house, uh, you know, we had a lawn in which I took out much, much of it and put in a native plant garden. You know, you folks in Colorado are very familiar with xeriscapes, right? Absolutely. People, yeah, so like, you know, in Texas, it's, you know, it's very hard to grow anything. It's so hot and whatever it is, and the soil is bad. So I put a xeriscape, and it took about three years to come together. And, and uh, while I was doing that, I was taking pictures To I was just too lazy to know down where my plants were. And in the wintertime, they die down and summer they come back again. So I was taking pictures to document progress throughout the years. And I did that. And after about three, four years, Everything came together, and I had taken a picture of uh, my garden using my Samsung Galaxy S3, which is like, <laughs> you know, obsolete, uh, and uh, put it on the Facebook page of this um, uh, nursery, online nursery that I, I used to buy these plants from. Um, they were out of uh, uh, New Mexico. Now they're, I think, in Colorado, Denver, based out of Colorado. And so their Facebook page went... Um, this post went viral. People started. Yeah, it's like thousands of people sharing it. And it's like, and this folks, they called me and said, hey, you know, it's really cool. We want to talk to you. Would you like, would you like to give an interview? I said, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> so I told them like, hey, this picture that I gave you is a cell phone photo. It's not even a proper camera. So they said, okay, that's okay. You know, it's good enough. We'll use that. And then they interviewed me. They published my thing in their catalog and all that. And that's when it occurred to me that, hey, I can take pictures, uh, <laughs> and, uh, probably get a real camera. So at that point of time, I had no idea about uh, how Canon is different from Nikon or you know, what the differences are. I had no idea, so I asked a buddy of mine who had a Canon uh, T five, I think, or T four, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I said, hey, you 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 bought one recently? Can you make a recommendation what I should buy? And this was like I mean, during Thanksgiving week. There was a Thanksgiving sale going on, and he called me and said, "Hey, there! You know, I know you're looking for a DSLR. There's a Nikon D7000 that's on sale at Best Buy. You should buy that. It's a really good camera." I said, "Okay, I'll buy it." So I ended up buying that and start taking pictures the next spring. So which was four years ago, spring of 2014. Is was, when that, I shot
0: my, was that with the, uh, the the 18 to 105 kit lens?
1: Uh mine came with eighteen to one
0: hundred okay. and forty. Okay, yeah, well, it was pretty was, decent. That was my first DSLR too, as a D seven thousand, and I had the eighteen to one hundred and five.
1: Yeah, I heard <laughs> somebody else also mentioned that one. Of, I think a couple of your guests also mentioned it. Yeah, I think maybe. Uh, is it Adam? Gosh, I forget yeah, I think who. Yeah, Adam it
0: Woodworth. Called.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Adam. Yeah, Adam. Yeah, he's at that too. Yeah, it's a pretty good camera. Like I kind of. Uh, Feel bad now that I sold it, and then later on. But that actually got me started. And what I did differently was I did not shoot auto to begin with. Mm. I I did not want to be this point and shoot camera guy. And you know, obviously, I wanted to have zoom and all that stuff. Back then, I was I had no idea about you know landscape photography that I need a wide angle lens for that none of those things i wanted a zoom lens so that i can take pictures of hummingbirds and uh, <laughs> wildlife that go, comes around my house like we used to have coyotes and bobcats and oh, there's one time there was a bobcat family that came along mom and three babies oh, wow. uh, you know. <laughs> so like i wanted to, to really I, I was more into wildlife at that time so um anyway so i got that camera and, and i did not want to like use it without knowing how to use it so and I was too lazy to read the manual, man. It came with a thick manual. So I put on YouTube and I just searched for D 7,000 and reviews and whatever it was. The first guy that came on was, you know, what's his name, Fro knows Photo?
0: Oh yeah, Jared Polin.
1: Yeah, he, he was there and he oh yeah. had a
0: t-shirt. I shoot raw, Yeah, right? Yep, and yep. I was like, okay,
1: what is raw? So I had no idea what is raw at the time. So then I was was so sold on it that I should shoot only raw. And later on, you know, at least like not shoot auto and do shoot another um, one of those modes. So I started shooting aperture priority to the most part. And I was uh, seeing all these pictures that people are sharing that were like, waterfalls and smooth water, milky uh, surfaces and all that stuff. So I wanted to do slow shutter speeds Mm -hmm. and shutter's priority was the thing that came along in the next thing. Um, So that's how I got started. And um, in summer of 2015, we went on a cruise to Alaska. So that was, you know, flew to Anchorage and then took a one way cruise back to Vancouver so I wanted to get a really long zoom lens so that I can take pictures of uh, uh, birds and especially of bald eagles. And so I got an 18 to 300 lens. So that's huh. most of it. So anyway, so uh, while on the tour, obviously, you know, there were places that I went to that were like, I mean, Alaska is so beautiful. You know, all all over that place is so spectacular. And I was so... Um, taken in by all those beautiful places and I shot a few landscape photos there and one picture that I uh, took that really um, got me converted I should say from wildlife to landscape would be uh, thing I think I want to say it was in Yukon there's uh, Emerald Lake there's a lot of Emerald Lakes around the place but there was one place called Emerald Lake and it was really green in color almost, almost like an emerald so that picture was probably the first landscape photo that I took. And on the same trip, I actually, that was the first time I also bought a uh, wide angle lens. I bought a Tokina eleven sixteen. That was my second lens. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. That was your second (laughs) lens too, okay. It was kind of funny, but it was a very popular lens at the time and I could not find one in the States anywhere. Yeah, they were really hard to get. Yeah, so I ended up buying it from Hong Kong. And so anyway, so uh, that lens was really amazing for landscape photography, at least on the crop sensor. And I ended up um, shooting some long exposures. A friend of mine had uh, loaned me his uh, ND filter. So back then I was into this smooth uh, surfaces. Um, Did that. And I wanna say a couple of months later, I saw a picture of the Milky Way for the first time. You know, I swear I don't remember seeing it before. Um, maybe on TV I might have seen, but I had never seen a picture of a Milky Way, especially like on a lake. And that was a picture taken by Sapna Reddy. Okay. And that was kind of funny. Like, you know, I saw the picture and I was like, wow, man, this is really cool. I need to do this. And that was, uh, she had shot that uh, at Bear Lake uh, in Rocky Mountain National Park. Yep. And so I wanted to do astrophotography you now. So, you know, like this was this middle of the summer. Uh, I'm like, you know, finding some wanting to shoot Milky Way, and obviously, you know, I live in a really, really light polluted area. I'm like almost in white on the right. uh, dark side finder. There's nothing you can see. And I I did not know much about this thing and. You know, I, I still wanted. I thought, okay, as long as you're in a dark place, you can see the Milky Way. So one night, like, you know, I, I told my, my, my wife and kids that I want to show Milky Way. want to come with me? I'll show the stars to you guys. So they came along. Okay. <laughs> two o'clock in the morning, you know, like woke them up, took them. My wife and my younger daughter, my older one was not at home. They came along. You know, it's like, you know, who would do that, right? So we went there to a po- local local park in Plano, Texas. And I tried to shoot the Milky Way there. Obviously, towards the direction east of the city of Dallas and the huge <laughs> light dome. You don't do you don't see anything in that direction. It's all blown. And I turned around and shot in the opposite direction, just for the heck of it. And the next day I shared in one of our local photography groups, uh, in a Dallas photography group, I think, a Facebook group. Um, and a friend of mine who's a friend of mine now, uh, you know, back then we did not know each other. He said, hey, this is actually the Milky Way, only you took the other side of it and you can see Andromeda galaxy in it. That was the first time anybody told me that, mm-hmm. wow, you can see the Andromeda galaxy on a, on a photo. Yeah. So that got me interested. And now I really wanted to take serious Milky Way f- photo. so I started scouting for places. So this is what I would do: uh, find, you know, try to find a dark place and go and see if there's, uh, you know, way to shoot Milky Way from there. So a month later, I shot my first Milky Way shot. Um, so that was uh, September of uh, 2015. And when I was shooting the second time, another friend of mine with me, standing next to me, and he was shooting with a D750, and his picture was so much bigger. So I had <laughs> no idea that a full-frame camera can make such a big difference. And he was shooting with the 14 millimeter Rokinon, and I was shooting with the Tokina on a crop, and his picture is so much bigger, So because it's almost 10 millimeter difference, right? right. <clears throat> and so... I wanted to immediately get a full frame. And that's when I decided, okay, should I get a Sony or, or, a, or a Nikon D810? Uh, now at the time, Sony was not that popular, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it just come out and there were no lenses that were native lenses, no wide angle, angle lenses, but a buddy of mine, um, he was talking about the dynamic range of the Sony sensor. Now, back then I had no idea what dynamics range meant, but it was impressive when he showed me a picture of, uh, he shot a picture towards the sun and it was, had underexposed it so much, but he was still able to pull the details and that I, I was sold on that. The second thing I did was I wanted to read about mirrorless because everybody was talking about how mirrorless is good or bad or like, right. you know, there was like, oh, it was very, what do you call it? You know, it was almost like our political environment right now. People were very polarized yeah And there was a e-book, I think, or an article, I don't, one of them, by a guy called Brian
0: Matish. You probably oh, yeah. know him. I mean, I've, I've had breakfast with Brian. <laughs> yeah, I know Brian. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, Brian is... A, Brian
1: is a uh, Sony. Oh yeah, uh, what do you call well, him? He, he used right? to
0: be a Sony artist and he's not anymore. Oh okay. I think he's a Zeiss one now. Yeah, he's. I know he's with like a uh, couple different brands and stuff. But yeah, he mm-hmm. lives in Omaha now.
1: Yeah. So yeah, so Brian had written this nice article, and I read that, and I was like convinced that uh, I want to get. Sony, it was almost like the new when the iPhone had come out and <laughs> how all the that actually did happen though. You know, like I was uh it's kind of interesting. I don't know if I'm going off track, pull me back. <laughs> um I wanna tell you the story. Um in two thousand seven I was working at Nokia and nobody expected this thing. Steve Jobs goes on TV and he announces the iPhone, right? Mm-hmm. The entire world is like shocked people at nokia were shocked oh sure (laughs) so there was first a sense of disbelief and then there was a sense of uh, denial Uh, the things that i heard were oh this is one phone we have two thousand phones at different price points there's no way they can do what we do so we are fine guess what two years later that company was history that's so so crazy isn't it yeah and so so was blackberry So it was Motorola, we all used those phones back then. They're all gone and iPhone is still here. So that was the thing that that made me think that mirrorless is the way to go because these guys are disrupting the place. They're challenging how things were done. So this is a totally different paradigm. So that's how I decided on Sony now. Uh, the biggest problem was lens selections were not was not there. I mean, there was no wide-angle lens. Yeah,
0: yeah. I agree. So
1: for a long time.
0: Yeah, the widest you could do is sixteen yeah, it's to thirty-five. F four,
1: and I shot Milky Way with that. Yep. You know, and,
0: yeah, it's a good, lens, good lens, lens, but yeah, it's not a it's not a Nikon fourteen to twenty-four. That's no, for sure. No, it's not. Definitely not. I need F four. So you know, for asteroid doesn't really.
1: Yeah. Uh, do that great. But you know what? I used that lens because that was the only wide-angle lens that I, that was out there to shoot a picture yep. that uh, was inspired by Sapna's picture. <laughs> when I went to um, <laughs> uh, uh, Rocky Mountain National Park and hiked up to Nymph Lake and shot the Milky Way over uh-huh. there, and that lens did okay. I mean, like F4, you know, obviously, you had to do stacking, stacked several pictures, I I mean, I couldn't process it properly until I learned to do it, but at least I knew that, you know, if I had the raw data, I should be able to go back and do something with it later on. So I did that. And then a few months later, Brian Matish, he messages me (laughs) and says, I know you were looking for the bot is 18. I have one that is reserved for me would you like to buy that from the place that he's holding for me? I said, Yeah, absolutely, I'll take it. So he gave me the contact information. I called them and I had my first real astro lens. So, and I used it like crazy. I shot
0: so many pictures with that. That's still my favorite astro lens. Well, I want to talk a little bit about what it's like. Because um, you mentioned living in Texas and being uh, surrounded by light pollution, and that must be pretty tough for somebody who loves shooting astro. So, like, what are some of the challenges for you as a landscape photographer living in Texas? Have you ever been to, t- to Dallas? I okay. have not.
1: <laughs> All right. Uh... <laughs>
0: <laughs> Probably for a reason. <laughs>
1: uh, you know, uh, I'm sorry, but you know, I, I asked uh, um, Mark Adams the same question, and Mark said, only through the airport. <laughs> so he said, I asked him why, you know, you, you, next time you're there, please let me know. He said, no, I'm not coming there. <laughs> so, so I Asked him why he says, "Well, oh, man, it does not have any mountains. It does not have any beaches. It does not have any of the jungles. So you, all you have is parking lots and flat spaces. So w- what do I do there? So that's what he said. And he
0: said, it's he's not, not wrong, wrong. no
1: it's not wrong essentially that's the situation with uh, north texas as a whole it's pretty flat you know featureless uh, when you fly into dallas fort worth airport you will see miles and miles of just flatness and you know that's, yeah. that becomes a little challenging to find anything decent to shoot with so uh, you end up uh, kind of finding creative ways of taking pictures either with the skyline in the background or find something like wildflowers or, you know, especially in the springtime, we have the blue bonnets. So there are some pockets where you will have decent composition. So you hunt for them. So it's kind of a very challenging place that it's not easy to shoot. But on the other hand, it's good training too. It's like, if you can shoot here, you can shoot anywhere. So I, I yeah, I say oh, the same sure. thing to people who, talk about gardening which was also the way that i got into this thing if you can grow stuff in texas you can grow it anywhere
0: you <laughs> <Now, laughs> we have
1: the we have the most um, extreme weather you know we have uh, in the wintertime it can be pretty cold and it can uh, we can get we get arctic blasts sometimes not every year every so many years and the temperatures can go into the the teens are actually into single digits um, a lot, and ice cream, uh, like, not ice cream, sorry, ice storms. Uh, we get ice storms, and come summer, like right now, 100 degrees for many, many days. So it's hard. Uh, so that right. also means same thing for landscape photography, too. Everything is dried up. You know, it's kind of hard to find anything interesting. Um, but it also challenges you to look differently and find stuff that, uh, will make for good compositions. Um, so that is the biggest challenge here.
0: Yeah, so I guess it probably forces you to do a lot of traveling as well. Um, you have, The problem is this, um, Matt. Uh,
1: you're absolutely right. You have to go somewhere, especially for if you want to shoot astro, you have to go out of the city. And the closest dark place is like about three hours away, um, which mm-hmm. is not too bad. But if you want to go there and come back the same night, it's not possible. It's hard. Um, yeah it is brutal. yeah so i end up trying to like look for places you know dig up uh look up the uh, dark site maps and find places that are closer that are kind of uh that will make for good compositions and good conditions so that's the challenge and kind of like i was able to do that a few times um yeah it's not perfect dark skies and all this stuff but it's pretty decent and same thing for landscape too there are i mean um it's not definitely colorado or oregon or any of those nice places but you can still find pretty good compositions and you just have to work with what you have and try to present it in a way that makes for interesting
0: um pictures absolutely i mean i, I feel like um one of the things i've learned over the years and especially through this podcast is like you can you can find beauty pretty much anywhere even in your own backyard and and you can find something interesting to shoot and i think working with those limitations it actually makes you a much better photographer definitely yeah and that's how i actually learned um to do
1: what i do right now and to improve upon my skills and i, I used to pretty much shoot a lot in my in my yard you know with all the flowers and everything growing you know things like that so it it helped me uh, work on my composition subconsciously. I was not doing it deliberately that I had to go do something and work on it. But doing that consistently helped me look at things differently. And so when the the opportunity comes and you're in a good place and you're, you know, you tend to, uh, have better outcomes
0: yeah that, that's why i'm such a bad photographer because i'm surrounded by beauty and have my whole life so like i've never actually had to try <laughs> come on you, you're not a bad <laughs> photographer <laughs> who, who are you kidding <laughs> colorado's like cheat mode <laughs> uh you have you have great pictures man oh <laughs> well, thanks so you mentioned um you mentioned mark Adamus, and i know that uh, you and i have had a couple of conversations about um, your experiences um, with Mark. I know you've been on at least one of his workshops. I'm curious um, how did how did going on a workshop uh, shape you as a photographer? Um, that's a great question. So I have been on only one of his workshops so far.
1: Okay, I was okay. supposed to go on one tomorrow, which I'm not going. Um, unfortunately. Um, but I took his workshop, uh, last year in uh, 2017. And that came about because of another photographer, you know him, I think, uh, uh, Nagesh Mahadev, have you heard about him? He is- Yes. Uh, yeah, his, pic- his pictures are wonderful. Um, he knows a lot of photographers. I mean, he knows Alex, Alex Noriega, Ryan Dyer, Candice, everybody, you know, you name them, you know, he knows them. And he has been on many Mark Adams workshops, and he re- he reached out to me because he lives in Dallas, and he had seen one of my pictures, and he was like, "Wow, this guy can take pictures so So we ended up becoming good friends and uh, he introduced me to Mark, and that's how I ended up going to one of Mark's workshops and Before I went, I asked Nagesh that, "Hey, do you think I'm at a, um, I'm skilled enough now that I can go on a workshop and it's not going to be a drain on the other people." And he said, "Absolutely, you know." He said, "You you are uh, you will benefit from it. You should go, and this is a good time for you to go." So that's how I ended up going, and it changed my life. I say that because uh, it's not just like you know. He doesn't teach you the basics of photography, but he teaches you, you know, how to f- how to think differently, how to uh, look for the best conditions, plan for your shots. Um, you know, he does he does so much of the, uh, obviously, the legwork for w- where we go and all that, which otherwise we would not go. It's almost like being on an adventure trip. So mm-hmm. that's the best part. And um, just being around him and somebody like him, I'm pretty sure, like, you know, most of the great photographers who teach workshops, they all pretty much do the same kind of uh, work. Um, but it helped me because it was like overnight I was there for for a week and I came back transformed. So I was able to see things differently. You know, uh, that was, it's hard to tell exactly what I am doing differently, but it changed me profoundly.
0: Okay, well, I mean, I know I've heard a lot of people um, say that, you know, like just being around someone like that like it just forces you to see the world differently through your camera. Is that kind of what your experience was as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, co- conventional logic sometimes is thrown out of the window, right? Like, you know, we, I mean, shooting into the sun, very few people um, will think like, you know, somebody who is not shot for a long time, they usually will not shoot into the sun because it's hard. And that's one of the things that people tell you not to do sometimes.
0: I have a, I have a, a couple of topics that I wanted to talk to you about that... um I know you and I have talked a little bit offline about that. I really wanted to dig deep into in the meat of the podcast, and it's it's not something that we've really talked a whole lot about on the podcast. And I was hoping that you'd be up for talking about it. And um, um, and that is um, as someone who's a Indian American, um, who's you know you're not a white Protestant male, <laughs> um, I'm curious, like, how has um. How has that part of your persona um, had an impact on you um, in the world of photography? Like, Have you experienced any discrimination or biases or anything like that um, in terms of uh, who you are as a person? So
1: I am a half, uh, sorry, glass half full kind of guy. I tend to see things in a more um, optimistic way. So uh, you know, like I usually am not the person to rush to conclusions on somebody's uh, um, somebody's behavior. Like they may be biased, or they may be, you know, just you know, just don't like me. So I usually don't do that. But there are subtle ways that you tend to uh, notice sometimes. Though I must say, all my friends, especially the folks that I've met through my photography, have been fantastic they come in all shapes colors and nationalities It's like that's the best part about what i'm doing i'm meeting people from virtually and in person sometimes people from across the world and you know, people that i would have never yeah. met before you know like the other day um i was talking to somebody from pakistan you know like you know this guy's a landscape photographer that shoots pictures in um the in the pakistani side of kashmir which if I lived in India and if I was there, that doesn't happen. So, like, you know, those are across boundaries people um, reach. Photography is a thing that unites people. So, anyway, so going back to your question about biases. So, I do notice that sometimes, uh, not regularly, sometimes uh, you would, for example, share a picture that you shot alongside another person who is uh the uh, other part uh, the, the the white protestant what, what was yeah. white anglo-saxon protestant that's the thing right the wasp right so you know you suppose like there's somebody like that right and we both sh- shoot the same picture and my picture is much better than him for example or, he, or her um and we both share in the same place people tend to like theirs more than they like me sometimes so hmm. you kind of Interesting. It kind of makes me think, okay, so why is that? That obviously from a technical span standpoint, I have a better image. I obviously did a much better job of presenting it, but it does not get the same kind of reactions from people that it does for the other person. So that's one thing That's again, you know, I've learned to ignore those things because right now I don't care about the likes and all that part. As long as I am growing and I'm doing better, and I know that I'm doing better, uh, I'm happy. So I've given up that part about the likes thing, you know, the social media thing. It doesn't bother me as much. Um, so, but there are certain times when you come across situations where it makes you think these people are not bad, they're just conditioned to think in a certain way. I'll give you a story in. I will be careful not to mention any names
0: or specific
1: (laughs) instances so that, uh, you know, they won't feel hurt because all of them are my friends. They're great people. They're wonderful photographers. They're very kind towards me. But there was one instance where I don't know what to call it. Maybe it's implied bias, maybe, or some kind of term like that where they're not racist, but they're conditioned to think a different way. So they kind of Mm associate with people of their own, rather than somebody who's a little different. So there was this one event I was at, Um, I I don't want to mention which event. So there were three of us standing, four of us were there, and the other three were, were white and it was me, and three of us were talking when the fourth person took out his camera. And here I was like, let's say I was standing on the left side, and there was another person in the middle, and there was an older person towards his right. And in the middle, there was this younger white gentleman who is a great photographer himself. And the picture was being taken by an older white gentleman. And so he took out his camera and he was composing a shot. So I I tended to come closer to the other two guys so that we can be in the picture. So the guy who is taking the picture, the guy who is taking the picture, he looks out of his viewfinder, he looks at me like twice. Mm -hmm. He looked at me enough times that I became conscious and I turned away and left. He did not want me in the picture because he wanted this old white guy and the young white person to be in the picture because it's the passing of the old guard to the new guard
0: uh-huh
1: so i and, and, I was, you, and I,
0: you and you were disrupting
1: that exactly. flow in his photograph exactly so the, it kind wow. of it kind of like you know it, it made me it made me feel kind of uh, less of an equal um mm-hmm. and it bothered me it bothered me uh, a lot but i have I have kind of like learned to accept it now because that kind of biases happen around the world in different cultures and it's not just uh, here. Um, and these, again, you know, these people are very nice people. They're not um, least bit mean or they would have had any kind of um, otherwise uh, negative a- attitudes towards you, But but just that, You don't want somebody in the frame tells me that I don't belong there, so that's right. When that happens, though, um, it also motivates me to be better at what I do. So that way, you know, I'm, you know, eventually they have to accept me as somebody that is unequal, if not more than more than equal.
0: Yeah. Well, I think the 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 interesting part about all that is like um, most of us don't have to experience those kinds of things and therefore like don't know what it's like and can't, don't understand how it, how it can have an impact on us either. Like um, I, I mean, especially like around the, what you were talking about where, you know, people view, view your, your work differently or lesser than someone who's nor you know, like other stereotype of what you would expect a landscape photographer to look like, I guess, and so I think, I think there's definitely something to that because when I try to think about, I think there is some something to what you're saying for sure.
1: Again, you know, like I, I want to, I want to say this very clearly. Like I have not faced outright discrimination. I have not, and I'm not going to say that anybody that I'm friends with, um. Would uh, would uh, look at me as anything less than what I am, but you know there's like subtle things like I just told you about um, that can be avoided if they are conscious about it. But I don't want people to be too conscious about it either. Then they're always doing things that are politically right. correct, which just also, then it's
0: yeah, and then it's always like super awkward too. Exactly, right? like, yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that guy again. I um, well, let's change the subject. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You don't want that either. Exactly. It's, uh, you know, it's funny though. Cause I think, um, especially in this country anyway, like, um, I think it's just becoming less and less, um, homogenous, like we're it's all just starting to turn into a blend. Like I think, you know, especially in the Southern states, like it's for, for better, I feel like it's people are, you know, we're getting more diverse and there's there's less uh like everyone doesn't look the same anymore like there's a lot more diversity and i think I think eventually over time, you know it takes a couple of generations, but eventually it's kind of like you look at someone and you don't see them as indian american or as or as african American or as from Mexico like you just see them as like American,
1: you know like yeah. Absolutely, man. I hate those, um, what do you call them? Prefixes, right? Right, right. Exactly. So that's, yeah, that's, I I don't like them either. Um, But that thing will go away eventually, hopefully. So
0: I I think so. I think so. Um, We're kind of in an interesting era too, because I feel like it's shifting so quickly. Just, I mean, just think with like within our generation here, like things have shifted dramatically and it's only going to, increase over time, you know, I think it's exciting for me to see, like, I mean, my son, he's 10 years old and his best friend in school is transgender. Like that's, I can't help him there because there was no such thing as transgender when I was growing up. Like that just wasn't a thing you were exposed to in school. So it's just really interesting to see how quickly the world is changing. and And he's 10. I feel like, He's ten, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's uh, it's it's changing. Um,
1: it, uh, hopefully for the better, uh, you know. It's like you know, you also have things. Yeah,
0: that- there's gonna be some speed bumps. You know, like the current presidency. It's fine. Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> we we'll hey, uh, You know, you know. Like, I don't like to talk politics, right? <laughs> I know, I know. You don't.
0: <laughs> I had to just, I had to just rib you a little bit there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, seriously.
1: Like, I know, I, I know. A lot, I have friends from across the political spectrum, and I have extremely um, right-leaning friends, and I have extremely left-leaning friends, and everything in between. So.
0: Um, well, and I know you you came up with that brilliant brilliant question for Colby, uh, for the podcast about like why why does he, um, post so many political things on his social media, um, because in your mind I think uh it can alienate people that don't have the same belief systems. So I feel like that was a really good conversation and and question that you posed. And I know one of the things that I was hoping to talk to you a little bit about was kind of your view on social media and how do you see um, the influence of politics and culture influencing how you connect with people on social media? It's a very challenging time right now. I mean, the times I would
1: say, I should say. Um, On one hand, social media has been very helpful to me to discover myself and make the connections that I have made especially Facebook, you know, I was very late coming into social media. I only started using um, Facebook, like I want to say about six years ago, six, seven years ago, not too long ago. Um, I used to think it was only for teenagers to use and I was so wrong, you know, no teenager uses Facebook these days, they all use Snapchat. And and I'm, I'm not a very heavy user of Instagram either uh but on the other hand facebook allowed me to make those connections with people like i mentioned before across the world right so and also by uh, be able to see imagery from from so many great artists that were posting on facebook i mean if not for facebook obviously you know your podcast and you know we would not be we would not be having this conversation today so that those are the good things about facebook but Facebook and other social media also gives people outlet to say things that whatever they want to say, anything that they don't like, <laughs> or they like, anything they like or That's don't right. like to say it. Um, it. It kind of the anonymity of being behind a computer screen kind of like sets people free, I think. So they say things. Right. And, uh, not they say every- things
0: that they wouldn't probably yeah. say in person.
1: Exactly yeah they definitely would not say say that to to you in person because it can be so rude sometimes and so how do i handle that you know like i like i said you know i have friends from the entire spectrum and i try not to respond to things that they may say or that may be hurtful to somebody or to you know i i just tend to uh, not respond to them in kind or Uh, say anything that will uh, perpetuate what they're saying. Um, Mm -hmm. That's one thing that I do. And, you know, in my posts and anything that I I usually like to write about my pictures, like, you know, when I post a picture, I usually write something about it, um, which I find kind of uh, uh, therapeutic in some ways, you know, to exercise that part of my brain and uh, write a little bit. I try not to be too, too political because... Uh, you know, I, I'm pretty sure like somebody is gonna not not like what I say. So try to stay in the middle as much as possible. Right. Uh, because um, for me, my political beliefs are my own, and they are pliable, and I can change my political opinions. And uh, in that matter, I I think I, I'm more of a centrist. Sure. Um, so that's where I, I I try to keep it not not too too much to the extremes. And and it's 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 horrible. Sometimes people say things um not just here, not just here in the States, like even overseas. People just say things that they would not say to the other person if they were in front of them.
0: Oh for sure. Um I, I yeah. guess I I find it interesting though, like, um I don't know, ever since I started the podcast, I've had a lot of people that I I've never met and never talked to, never even heard of them before, have no idea who they are. Send me friend requests, which I'm sure people people that are a little bit more well-known, you know, in photography probably get that all the time. But um, it's funny because, uh, you know, I have a Facebook page for the podcast. I have a Facebook group for the podcast and I have a Facebook page for my photography. So if like people were just interested in those things, like they would, you know, they would pursue those and instead, they send me a personal, you know, Facebook request, friend request. And I'd say like six or seven times out of 10, I'll probably accept those requests. And inevitably, like someone like, you know, I'll post my own personal beliefs. I'm usually pretty uh, tame about my posts. Like, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm my position is usually pretty clear, but um, I'm not like incendiary about it and it it's inevitable that those people that s- seeked me out get offended by what i post and it's like hold on man like first of all like almost all my posts are public so you can like scroll through my previous posts and see kind of the kind of stuff i post so uh if you didn't like what you saw then like why are you so upset now and it's just i don't know it's like frustrating to me like on one hand too it's like why why do people get so offended about if someone believes something that they don't like that should be an opportunity to engage in dialogue and to have a better understanding of what other people are thinking and how they feel and I I just feel like people want to just ultimately they just want to be in their own bubble and they don't want their world to be disrupted in any way shape or form Um, but it's interesting that they've friended a bunch of people on Facebook they don't actually know and then get mad when they post things you know what i mean (laughs) (laughs) yeah
1: that receiving friend requests is uh, definitely something it's kind of funny like i i remember when you were talking about it that on your podcast, uh, Alex Mariega was uh, saying that you know he had thousand requests that were in the they were in the queue. Yeah. So, like after you know, I heard that, I messaged uh, Alex and and I told him that Alex, I'm one of those thousand people that are still waiting. <laughs> so, so he replied back and he said, uh, hey, "Thanks, thanks for reaching out. Like I'm going to accept it now." So, you know, it's like if you really want to be friends with somebody, you can always reach out to them and say hey, I want to be friends with you. Like, you know, I sent you a friend request. So would you be okay? Uh If it's okay with you, can you please accept it?
0: Well, yeah. No, I'm, but people. And I'm always amazed <laughs> at how many people that, like, I have no context as to who they are, like, send you a friend request. And they don't even take the time beforehand to say, hey, by the way, like, I really like your podcast. I like your photos. Like, I'd love to be your friend. Like, that would be all it would take for me personally. Yeah, um, but yeah. they just – randomly friend request you and then you're like, do I know you? Like, why are you friending me? I think some of
1: it is probably because, um, you know, like how people used to be after getting likes for their pages and things like that. So I get a lot of requests and, you know, like, um, I am usually very circumspect and I won't accept all all the friend requests that I get unless I have had interactions with them or I have friends with them, uh, common friends with them. But some people, you, you get a friend request to accept it and immediately within like the same yeah. day or two, <laughs> they send a
0: request like to- Like their business page. Like their page, yeah, exactly. Oh, I hate so that. That irritates me, man. That irritates me so much. By the way, like... if you do that to me, I will immediately unfriend you. <laughs> did, did, I, did I do that already? No, but people do that to me all <laughs> the time and I unfriend okay. them. I'm like, yeah. no. Like, you, okay. like me, like, I'm not interested in your yeah. stuff, man. Like, if, it's like yeah. people don't know there's a follow button, too. Like, you don't, it's not, it doesn't have to be bi-directional, but you're right. Their motivation exactly. is that they want more people to know who they are. Like, it's it's a selfish, weird thing. I, but, you know, on the flip side of that, I think one of the cool things about social media and, and landscape photography specifically that I think is kind of cool is that is that we can connect as people um, around this common interest um, and have various cultural backgrounds and have various political beliefs and that doesn't necessarily have to prevent us from engaging in thoughtful dialogue and being friendly towards each other and learning from each other and you know like there's more to people than their politics and their personal beliefs. Like it's okay to be friends with someone, even if they're not exactly the way you think. Yeah. So I, Absolutely. so I, I, I think not all hope is lost.
1: Yeah. Uh, Again, you know, social media, all of social media is not bad. You know, people are afraid of things like, you know, I get some people ask me like, you know, we should probably stay off off of uh, Facebook. (laughs) It can be disruptive. It can, you know, it can lead to a lot of negative energies, but it also allows us to connect. Um, You know, that's definitely the, you know, you should take the positives and not dwell too much on the negatives.
0: Absolutely. Well, not to, abruptly shift topics but i have two follow two questions for you and i actually had one more topic i wanted to cover with you because i thought it was interesting so i know like you recently received um top 101 uh international Mm -hmm. landscape photographer of the year um you were in the top Mm -hmm. 101 and uh i was just curious like from your perspective as a landscape photography as landscape photographer like, what does it mean for you to be recognized at, la- at that level? And kind of what does that do for you as an artist? So this happened uh, in the last, year. I,
1: I want to say in the last uh, less than last, uh, seven, eight months, maybe yeah, a, little, a little less than a year. So I was doing all these things and I wanted some validation if I am, I want to be the best if possible you know, and as, as best as I could be. So I wanted some validation whether I'm on the right path. So I did participate in in some contests that are, that are local, like uh, there's a city called Richardson, uh, close to where I live where they have a pretty good photo competition every year. And this year's judge, one of the judges this year was Mike Majol and Mike and a couple of other judges. So uh, I entered that contest last year and this year too. And I want to say this year my 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 daughter hurt my butt <laughs> badly, <laughs> and she she beat me and so beat everybody else. But anyway, so last year after I had participated in that, I wanted to do something more uh, international to see you know where I rank. So I, when I saw this contest, you know how I heard about it was through Perry not Perry, I, I want to say, no, it's it was Erin Babnick. Erin Babnick had mentioned a couple of competitions. She had recommended some competitions for people to say, you know to advise um, to enter and, you know, that they were good competitions. And one of them was the International Landscape Photographer of the Year. So I went to their website and last year's winner was Alex right. Boyega. And he was one of the judges this year. And it was it was not a free competition. You have to enter, uh, you have to pay a fee. So only the serious entries were obviously gonna be entered. So I entered that, I entered five of my images. Um, I think it was like $125 or something like that total, uh, 20, $25 per picture. So I entered five of them and I was like, totally like, you know, what's the worst that can happen, you know? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I won't get anything, but if I get one to be among the top 101, that's a big honor. And especially judged by people sure. like Alex, that's just a, just too much for me to expect at the time. So I just like went on a limb and entered it. So I I got one the top 101 and my other picture, it barely missed it. So I I might have had two instead of just one, but what was kind of like very amazing for me and gratifying to look at was my name was alongside people that are really famous. And there are people uh, infamous too. (laughs) (laughs) Like the name, one name that was there was You know, <laughs> on the same page,
0: three, three, three uh, names to my left was Peter That's Dixon. hilarious. So anyways. Uh, well, I yeah. guess what? He, uh, and, he probably uh, puts his pants on one leg at a time, too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So anyway, so that was kind of uh, a validation that whatever I was doing was going in the right direction. So that was the main reason I entered that competition. Have you
0: seen, um, have you seen any um, positive uh, impacts following that? Like in terms of uh, people, um, you know, following you more on social media or, or like, I guess my question is like, what, if, what have you seen as the positive ramifications of that other than, you know, that gratification and, and knowing that you, you've at least done something cool?
1: Um, I haven't really thought too much about that. There might have been, but I also tend not to like accept all the <laughs> friend requests I get. For example, so um, I I'm not sure uh, about that part. But I did. I can tell you one thing though. It did give me broader international recognition. And for example, there is this uh, one uh, group in India called the uh, DCP um, School of uh, Travel Photography. Uh, they are ba- they are basically focused on conservation and that kind of thing. Um, so they made me a panel expert, and which uh, is like a mentor, I think they call it panel expert. Um, so and they had my pictures displayed in their exhibition, and I didn't, I basically had a lot of visibility to my images. Five six of my images were displayed um, at various exhibitions over there. So that was kind of, uh, you know, just a recognition of our uh, validation of what I was doing was right. And uh, I was published and those kind of things were, I think they're cumulative. Don't they one thing doesn't make everything for you, but I think it all adds yeah, up eventually. Definitely.
0: Well, cool, man. Um, well, we're running out of time. So I have two more questions for you. Um, my first question is, uh, Based on the name of the podcast uh, f stop collaborate and listen. What advice do you have for other landscape photographers? Um, the one thing is not just for
1: landscape photography for but in general as a community, I tend to notice sometimes people give feedback that is sometimes unsolicited <laughs> and sometimes <laughs> it's harsh uh, I, I I give feedback too, but I give uh, in private i don't, I don't post on their personal pages or, you know, somewhere else in a group um, saying, hey, so the, whatever was bad about a certain image or something. So I, I tend to take a more direct approach and um, directly message them and tell them, hey, this is really nice, but you could have done mm-hmm. it this way or something else. Or was there a reason why you, you did it right. this way? And that kind of uh, goes a longer uh, that goes longer distance than you know like being negative uh, i mean it can be perceived as negative if somebody said something
0: for sure um, that it can be hurtful. for sure i think that's true and also like i'm constantly amazed and reminded at how fragile our egos are at times <laughs> yeah that's true Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to say, like, if you're doing something as an artist that's controversial, like, that generally means you're going to get unsolicited feedback, um, which probably means to some degree your art is working. So um, it's just, I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of, uh, you're
1: right. You know, there's uh, one or two people who will always find something wrong with your image, however good it is. (laughs) So, like... Yeah, there was this one comment when somebody made on my Instagram, actually landscape photography magazine, they featured
0: my picture that I took on the uh, Oh yeah, and then I'm sure someone commented on that. Yeah, it
1: was kind of like, you know, I don't know what she meant. And and Sapna actually stepped in and she made a comment on that saying, it's not processing, you know, and then she her response was, oh, you can with post-processing, you can transform uh, deserts into oceans. I'm like I don't have time for that. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, whatever you whatever you see was in the picture at the place I shot it. So every pixel was in the same place. So that's what I told her. Um, so there are some people yeah, who always find something wrong.
0: Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like the the longer I've been doing photography, the less I care about what other people think personally. But whatever, that's just me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Final question. Uh, Who would you like to hear on the podcast?
1: So I thought about that. um, And, you know, I have a few names. I don't know how, and I can give you more than a couple, Um, but. Give me your top three. three. Okay, cool. So let's start with women landscape photographers. Uh, You know, like we don't have too many of them, but I am very impressed by what I see uh, coming from, Kathleen Croft. Have you heard about Kathleen? I have not. Okay. She uh, is a busy landscape photographer. She's always traveling to some uh, corner of the world that, uh, you know, very few people go shoot, like, goes to places like Greenland. uh, I don't know. I think right now she's probably in Norway at this moment. Um, So I think she would be a good um, guest to have on the show. and she has got some pretty um impressive shots. Awesome. And her pictures are mostly uh not uh they're in camera shots, mostly, not much of post processing. So that's another thing that I like no, about her. No Milky
0: Way is dropped in? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely no. Yeah, she does shoot Milky Way,
1: but I don't think she she does any of that stuff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, I know. I know. We had an f- interesting conversation about that before about dropping Milky Ways, but uh, no, she doesn't do that. Okay. Uh, the other uh, two. Have you seen the work by Chris Moore?
0: Oh, I feel like I have. Uh, okay. But Chris Moore uh, is a.
1: He's also a physician. He's a urologist out of. Uh, Jacksonville, Florida, and he takes amazing pictures and it's just amazing to see those images. Uh, I wanna say his Facebook page is, uh, on Instagram page is Exploring Light Photography. I think that's what he uh, uses it. Uh, oh yeah, okay,
0: uh-huh, yep, I have seen that. Okay. Yep, So the, cool. The third person that I think would be a good
1: guest to have on the show is Matt Meisenheimer.
0: Oh yeah, I know Matt, uh-huh. Okay. Um, cool. Have
1: you talked to him?
0: Uh, just a little um, through like um, West Coast Photographers on Facebook. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I think he's got really amazing pictures. and uh, Yeah. Yeah, he, I think he, he does, he does some good. pretty great work too, for sure. Yeah. Well, cool, man. So um, that's pretty much it. And uh, I hope people stick around and uh, check out our, our bonus episode on Patreon which uh, is going to be all about uh, the dichotomy of conservation and controversy. So we're going to talk a little bit about a recent photo that you took that stirred up some controversy. Sounds good. All right. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate you taking the time to hey, be on the podcast. It's been fun. Yeah,
1: yeah. Real quick uh, to the audience. Uh, uh, folks, I'm I'm going to sign up for Patreon. I have not done it so far. I just wanted to <laughs> let you guys know. <laughs> I didn't do that because I didn't want to come across as bribing, <laughs> bribing Matt to have me on the show. So, okay, well, now that I'm a bit on the show, I'll give him a kickback.
0: Well, if you do want to come <laughs> on the show, that is not the worst way to uh, to to convince me, but uh, it's not a guarantee. <laughs> 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 real cool thanks right. man i appreciate it and i uh, look forward to uh talking more about it hey, thanks for having me
1: uh, and in the closing you know i really appreciate you having me here and uh um, i feel like the goat oh yeah um do you know the goat no oh okay uh okay i'll make it quick because we're, we're out of time here so you know the west point academy so the person that finishes last of the class. So basically they almost (laughs) fail, but they make it. So they are called the GOAT. So at their graduation, the entire class of thousand cadets, they all pitch in a dollar apiece, and they put it in a pillowcase and give it to this guy (laughs) or girl last in the class and they call the GOAT. And there was an article that I read in the Wall Street Journal several years ago. They talked about this thing and I feel like the goat. You know, you you're you're the, if your guest lineup is like the West Point and I'm <laughs> the goat. But
0: I know what? I'm proud to be here and it's uh not everybody goes to West Point. It's funny, man. Some of the best uh advice that I got on the podcast was from Josh Cripps about imposter syndrome. So I think I, th- I think almost all of us photographers don't feel like we belong among our peers, which is just hysterical. Like if you look at the, if you remember, um, well, do you follow West Coast photographers? The Facebook group? No, no, I do, I do not. No. Okay, not. well, it's it's probably like three or four hundred members, and it's like invite only, and um. L- It's so funny, though, because like everyone who always posts is like, I probably don't deserve to be here, but here's my photo today. And it's just so funny because everyone thinks they're terrible photographers and almost everyone who's in there is amazing. It's just it's just so funny. Like there's very few great landscape photographers that don't think they're terrible. I I think it's funny. I love it. (laughs) Wow. Looks like a cool place to be. It is. You should join. I'll just I'm just going to invite you. Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate it. All right, man. We'll we'll talk again soon. All right. It was fun. Yeah, will do. Thanks to Rajesh for taking the time to visit with us on the podcast. To find out more about Rajesh and see more of his awesome work, visit 2020px.com. As always, you'll find links to the topics we discussed and more in the show notes on my blog at mattpainphotography.com. You can support us by writing a review about the podcast in the iTunes store. What's stopping you? Come on, guys. As people search for the podcast to listen to, it helps others discover this podcast. Thanks to Sanjita Day for her awesome five-star review. You can also support the show by making a monthly contribution through Patreon. Come on, guys. Just a dollar a month. No big deal. Or $5 a month, and you get access to all of our awesome bonus content. Check it out. Thanks to our newest patron, Rajas Jothis Warren. <laughs> if you want to drop me a line about the podcast, either suggestions or ideas, please reach out to me via my website at mattpainphotography.com. You can always follow me on social media, Twitter or Instagram as Matt Payne Photo or on Facebook as Matt Payne Photography. Thanks for listening.